Turn to you in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 13 this evening. And we're continuing looking at this, this great chapter which shows us the true marks of a Christian. And these are commands that are given to the true Christian. And, and part of this is kind of like, if you look through this chapter, it's almost like Paul is squirting a fire hose at us. It, it, these commands are coming rapid fire, like they're coming out of a, a machine gun. And even slowing down, even looking one verse at a time, there's, there's still a lot here. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that we can do this. We can look at them one verse at a time. Because I can imagine, if I was trying to preach on these all at one time, this, this whole chapter, I probably would have you here for about five hours as I'm going through it. So you're probably happy that we're doing it one verse at a time as well. So this one is, is going to be a, an important topic that we're going to look at today. This is helps and hospitality. So Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, there is so much here in your word. And even just these few words in this one verse. Father, I pray that you will be with me, that you will help me to to adequately explain this verse and, and to convey the meaning. Lord, I pray that you'll be with each of us. We need your enlightenment. We need to hear from you. It is your word. You are the author of it. And your Holy Spirit is the decipherer of it. And without your spirit, we are not able to, 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 to adequately understand your word. So, Lord, but we trust that your spirit will speak through me and open our ears and we will hear from you. And you will use this time to change us, to conform each one of us more into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, in the 30 plus years that Lynn and I have been married, we have had the, the pleasure of living in six different states, or so I should say six different homes in four different states. So we lived in New Jersey, we lived in Virginia, we lived in North Carolina, and we now live in Georgia. And of course, there's a, a lot of differences between all these states. There's, there's climate, there's culture, there's different ethnicities, there's different accents. In these different places. But I want to contrast the two middle places that we lived, Virginia and North Carolina. And I don't want to look at it with respect to culture or, or, or accents. I want to look at it with respect to our sense of community, how well we fit in in these two places. And there's really a stark difference between these two places that we lived. And this doesn't really have anything to do with the states themselves. It really has more to do with us, uh, the condition, our, the personal situation in which we found ourselves, as well as the personal condition of those around us. So I want to just give a, a little background. I was raised, I grew up in New Jersey. I, I was born in New York City, but my parents moved to New Jersey when I was only a few months old. So really, that's all I knew, <clears throat> New Jersey. My two brothers were born in New Jersey. Now, Lynn, she had grown up in Maryland, lived most of her life in Maryland, except for her last two years of high school, where her mother moved to, to Tampa, Florida. And Lynn disliked Florida so much that actually moving to New Jersey to go to college seemed like a, a, a benefit, seemed like it was attractive to her. So at this time, Lynn's dad was living in New Jersey. He was working in New York City, and he lived in New Jersey, so Lynn was able to get in-state tuition when she came to Rutgers, and, and that's where we met at Rutgers and started dating. And, and uh, after college, we bought a house, we got married, and the house we bought was about a half hour from where my parents lived, and, and this was really, New Jersey was all I knew. And because my entire family lived close by, 
we were pretty much self-contained, both in terms of our physical community, our physical needs, as well as our community. And if we needed something, if I needed something fixed on my house, I just called my dad. And he had every tool imaginable. He came over and he fixed it. And some things haven't changed. My younger brother, who lives only a couple of minutes from my father, when we were visiting over the summer, my dad spent all day over at my brother's house fixing his air conditioning because his air conditioning broke. So some things never change. If we needed someone to babysit, my mom was available, or my uncle, the, the uncle we prayed for this morning who's, who's in the hospital, he would come over and, and uh, babysit. And Jessica, she, Jessica would, uh, when he was uh, babysitting Jessica, she would make yuck soup with him and all kinds of other things. <clears throat> when, so he was, he was a, a really fun babysitter to have. And likewise, during weekends or holidays, we would always visit family. We would always go there, and, and, and it was mostly it was my family, but sometimes Lynn, Lynn's dad had, by this time had moved back to, to Maryland, but it was still close, and we, went, we made frequent visits to see him. But we were self-contained. We, we helped our family. We were helped by our family, and there was little need or little motivation, really, to expand the circle beyond the family. But then in 1999, we moved out of this self this, this safe, self-contained community that we had with our family in New Jersey, and we moved to Blacksburg, Virginia. This is where Lynn went to vet school. And moving was actually pretty easy because my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters-in-law, and my uncle, we all caravaned down there, driving our cars, driving a moving van. We packed all our stuff, and then they helped us unpack everything and put it into our storage unit down there. And then, it, this was July 4th of 1999 that uh, we moved down there. And then uh, on July 5th, early in the morning, that was my 31st birthday, they all packed up the car and they went home. And we were all alone, just Lynn and me and Jessica and Sarah and two dogs that we had. And at this point, we, we didn't even have a house. We didn't even have an apartment. We lived in a motel. We lived in a motel for, for two weeks. And again, I remember the four of us, not including the dogs, just the four, the, the four people, we celebrated my 31st birthday in IHOP. You know, kind of pathetic. We were sitting there in IHOP eating pancakes on my 31st birthday because we knew no one. We had no friends. We had no family. We had no support system, no community. And we realized, we quickly we realized that we needed other people. And our first friends were from our church. And it wasn't a particularly strong church. It wasn't a, it, we were going to the, to the Episcopal Church at the time. But they, they were nice people, and they helped us out. And I remember when we finally got an apartment, we moved our stuff out of storage. It was 70-year-old Bill Miller with his pickup truck, and Len and me in our minivans. And we piled everything into, into his truck, and we moved into our first apartment. Now, once Lynn started vet school, it got a little easier. We had community with the fellow vet students, and particularly the, the Christian Veterinary Fellowship. This we both attended. This is where we really had a strong uh, sense of community. But perhaps our strongest community was the Dickerson family that lived right across the apartment complex from us. And, and I had mentioned them before last week's sermon. I mentioned Dorothea, who's now with the Lord, and uh, Dara, who some of you know, she's visited us here. And uh, uh, Brian has also visited us. And as a matter of fact, I actually talked to Brian earlier this week. Remember, David, when we were driving to school, all the way during the school, he had to be quiet because I was on the phone uh, talking to Brian Dickerson and, and, uh, and catching up with him. But what we found out is, is 
what we discovered, really, in the absence of, of blood family, we needed to build a new family, and a new family with our friends, with fellow students, with church members. And we had to rely on this new family for the help that we needed, for the hospitality, for the community that we needed. And it was in this process that we developed really some of the, the deepest and, and lasting friendships uh, that we have in our, in our lives. Like I mentioned, you know, I haven't, I haven't lived here for over eight years, but we stayed with Brian when we went to visit oh, over the summer. We stayed at his house. I spoke with him last week. We speak often. And, I, and I'm in contact with many of our friends from, from Grace Covenant. This is the, the PCA church that we attended. So even, even years later, we still have this, this connection. So this was Blacksburg, Virginia. Now I want to contrast this with Monroe, North Carolina. We moved there in, in, in 2013 for me to attend seminary over in Charlotte, RTS Charlotte. And our family was bigger now. Now we had David and we had Hannah, although they were very small at the time, but we had them. And we had a lot more animals. We also had Bonnie. She, she came with us as well. And we had horses and dogs and so forth. But we still had need. We still were, were alone. We still needed community. And we're in Blacksburg. We, we found immediate community. There were many people ready to help us, reach out to us, ready to include us as part of in their lives. But in Monroe, the situation was much different. See, we're in Blacksburg. We had these, these deep friendships and, and, uh, um, you know, that we still keep in contact with. But in Monroe, we don't keep in contact with anyone. We really didn't make any friendships. And other than my friend Skinny Nathan, who I met in seminary, I don't keep in touch really with anyone there. And there were several things that were different about our time in Monroe. And first of all, the, the seminary wasn't close by. I lived an hour away from the seminary, so we weren't in the same community. We didn't have the students over. When, when we were in Blacksburg, we had vet students over our house all the time. When we had a, an Easter dinner, uh, they, had a, they had an exam the next day, so they couldn't go home for Easter. So we brought all the students over to our house. We got tables from the church. We had, what, about 50 students or so? 34, 34 vet students over for, for our uh, um, Easter dinner. And that was the thing we were able to do. But in, in Charlotte, we were too far away to do that. And, and I had friends at the seminary, people that, you know, when I went to General Assembly, I saw, and, you know, we hug each other. But really only Skinny Nathan and his family that, that we got to know the family of. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing, the area we lived in was not very transient. It wasn't like Blacksburg. Blacksburg was a college town. So there were people constantly coming in, especially grad students, professors, people didn't get tenure. So there was a lot of transient people there. This wasn't the place where we lived in Monroe. Monroe was a place, a community that people lived in for multiple generations. There, there were streets named after people we knew. And there, and there, there was their great-great-grandparents. They, they just lived there. So they had large extended family. So uh, it was a lot like how I was when I lived in uh, New Jersey. Uh, they were self-contained. As a matter of fact, the, the, the little area we lived in was really one family. One family owned all this, this property, and there was, there, there was a brother and uncles and nephews and sisters and so forth there. <clears throat> and they, they were nice. One neighbor was very generous. He gave us, he gave us produce. He had this huge garden. He had a huge farm tractor. You know, several acres that he farmed, and he gave us lots of stuff. We also had another bunch of neighbors that came over and helped us unload our piano. So a bunch of big guys, they came in, and they took our piano off the truck. But they weren't family. We didn't hang out together. We didn't socialize together. We didn't do, do life together. 
we really were considered outsiders. It was a, those Yankees who, who came. Yeah, I noticed that the South, anything north of you, you consider Yankees. So like when I was in Virginia, the, actually we, when I was in New Jersey, we considered Maryland the South. And then when we were in Virginia, they considered Maryland Yankees. And when we were in North Carolina, they considered Virginia Yankees. And now we're down here, you consider anyone north of Macon Yankees. So we were considered those Yankees, those outsiders. So that was the second factor. The third factor that made it different is that the church we attended was 45 minutes away and in a completely different community. And again, these were really nice people, but we were so far away. And, and we lived in a, in a small rural town. My kids used to joke that this was the land that time forgot. You remember? This was Monroe, North Carolina. It was the only place on the planet at the time that still had a video rental store. Two, two video rental stores. This shows how this was the place that time had forgotten. You, you go to, to Monroe, you thought you were in the 1980s. That's what everything looked like 1980s. It screamed 1980s. I don't think they even had new movies at the video rental store. Again, it felt like you were, you were in some kind of time warp. Now, the church, the church was in the, uh, the, the growing suburb of, of, of uh, Charlotte, upscale. Mansions. There were, there were literally mansions. I think this was the town where Michael Jordan lived. Uh, so you could see completely different uh, type of people, different type of place. So during our time in, in Monroe, we were starved, starved for community. And it made it difficult for us. And I mentioned this experience of my family in, in these two towns, really to, to give us a feel for the situation in which Paul is giving this command to the early church. During the New Testament time, most people's help and community came from within their immediate and extended families, just like I was in my time in New Jersey, just like our neighbors were in Monroe. And for the most part, everyone was self-contained. They relied on their natural relations for their need, for their, for their community. However, once the gospel, once the good news of Jesus Christ started propagating, things changed. The gospel called people to a higher allegiance than our families. And the highest allegiance was not to your mother or your brother or your, or your children. It was to God. And in fact, the gospel often separated families. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a mother-in-law against her, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So when people were converted, when they, when they came to Christ and they rejected either the Jewish ways or the pagan ways, wherever they came out, the ways of their families, this rejection was seen as a rejection of the family itself. And oftentimes these people actually were kicked out of their families. They, they, were, they were, you're dead to me. That's what the families thought. And they lost the, the help. They lost the protection they lost the community that was provided by these extended families. So when I moved from New Jersey, away from our old support system, we needed to find a new support system, a new community. Now, I wasn't rejected by my family. They didn't disown me. They didn't say, you, you're now in rebel land. No, they didn't say that at all. 
They still, they still loved me, but we were, they were too far away. I couldn't call my dad and say, you know, drive five hours to come down here to fix my hot water heater. That was no longer an option for me. And but these, these early Christians, while they didn't move away, they were actually rejected by their family. And similarly, they too needed to find this new support system. So this is the background of this command that we look at here that Paul gives in Romans 12, 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, the Christian church had to become the new family for these people. And we even see this with with the use of family words. They call each other's brother and sister and father and mother. This is the way the church referred. The church saw themselves as a new family, a stronger family, a, a, a a, a more complete family. Now, it's important for us to realize that the call of the gospel was not a call to abandon our natural family. No, not at all. But rather, the call was not to abandon, but to expand the family, to include all believers, not just those that you're related to by blood. And Jesus himself shows really the priority of this spiritual family in Mark 3, where he says, he says, who is my brother? Who are, he was asked, who are my mother and brothers? And Jesus looked at those sitting around and said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You see, community is essential. It's essential for every one of us. It's essential for our survival. We need other people. We need to belong to a group. And it's not just physical or practical help, right? There are people who have money. You could, you could always hire someone to do the practical needs. I could hire someone to help move my piano. And even, even strangers sometimes are willing to help provide one-time practical need. But this is so much different than real community, real family fellowship. This is different than becoming part of the family. And that's what we need. That's what we saw in Blacksburg. We became part of someone's family. In Monroe, they helped us. But they said, okay, we're going our way. And they're, you know, on Sunday afternoon, we're hanging. Anyone hang out? No, we're all going to our family. And we were there all by ourselves. Now, this type of, of, of fellowship existed back then in other places other than the families. I mean, I think the families were the model. The families set the standard. But there have always been people who, who didn't have maybe good families or came from abusive families or destructive families. And they had to s- seek this type of community that, that we all desire. They had to seek it elsewhere. It's a basic need. Very few of us are hermits. And this community could be found in biblical times and today in like-minded groups and, and fraternities and, and clubs and people of similar uh, social status. Uh, men in military service usually find this, this camaraderie. You also see it in a negative sense. Uh, people who engage in criminal activity. There's a, a bond there. I mean, just think of uh, Fagin's Band of Thieves and, and Oliver Twist. There's a camaraderie. Even though it's a sick, uh, twisted, it's still a, a camaraderie. But one thing was unique about the early church is that it was open to all. See, the the early church transcended all other social classes. The church was open to all. It didn't matter what race you were, what ethnicity, the amount of wealth you had. Even even within Jesus' own apostles, there were zealots and tax collectors, right? And these are groups that would naturally hate one another. And even they were together. They were slaves, masters, rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile, and they all were united. Only one thing, in Christ, 
That was it. Anything else, they had nothing to do with each other. But in Christ, that was a stronger relation than any of these other things. What brought them together was stronger than what made their differences. And this fact made Christianity very attractive to the outcasts, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the orphans, to the widow, to the ones no one else wanted to have around. They all found a place of acceptance. People who were often unwelcome wherever else they went found a place of welcome in the Christian church. And this is the command that Paul gives us in Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And what this does is this requires a shift in our thinking. We need to understand that we are united to other believers. We are connected to them like family, like a family. And this command, the problem with this command is it can easily become legalistic. We can look at percentages, right? How much do I have to help this person? How much, how much money do I need to give to the needy saints? And Jesus said, there's always going to be needy. There's always going to be needy people. You can always give them more. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with us. So we always want to, we want percentages. We say, how much hospitality is necessary? Do I have to have people in my house you know, once a week, once a month? Can I get by by once a year? Will I, will I get my ticket punched? That's what we all want to do. This is what we all look for. But it's not legalistic. It's, it's a change in thinking. And when we change this thinking, it doesn't become a command. It becomes organic. It becomes organic. See, I don't think, how much do I need to help my family? Like, I, I don't think, oh, to, you know, how, how, how much do I need to help them? My, my, my wife, my children, my, my kids, they're, they're all extensions of me. We're all connected. If they need help, they get help. I give help wherever it's needed. I want to help. It's natural. And this is the same was true with hospitality. You know, we have family here, Bonnie and, and Sarah and Nathan. They, we don't live in the same house, but they're all welcome. We have keys to each other's house. We don't, and we don't make big preparation. They want to come over, they come over. Whatever state the house is in, that's the state it's in. Whatever we have to eat, that's what they eat. We don't make a big deal. It's, my house is your house. We just get together. And what this is, this change of thinking is very important when it comes to Christian hospitality. Because it goes from being seen as, as a burden to becoming organic, to becoming natural. And I, again, I think of our friends, the Dickersons in, in, uh, in Blacksburg. We would just go over. It didn't matter. It, it, it wouldn't matter the state of the house. They'd have dishes all over the place. We'd come over. We'd push the dishes over. We'd find a place to sit down. We'd find something to eat. We'd go through the cabinets and find whatever it was. And that's what we did. We spent time together. It became natural. It became organic. It was as if our family members. It's not like when, when David's coming down to have breakfast. Like I said, well, i got to clean the house. David, step in your bedroom until I get everything clean because I don't want you to see the mess. Most of the mess he made. So I don't, I don't do that. So it's the same thing with it. It becomes organic. Now, one of the obstacles that we all face with respect to hospitality is we have the understanding of even what, we have the wrong understanding or misunderstanding of what it is. See, we often confuse Christian hospitality with entertaining, with entertaining, with, with having a dinner party. And this is not the same thing, not the same thing at all. See, entertaining is not natural, is not organic, right? It's a special time. You, you spend hours cleaning your house and hiding all the stuff in, in different places, and you want it to look your best, and people come over and say, how could anyone live like that? Well, they don't live like that. We don't live like that. We put our best face forward. It's not the way we normally live. It's something special. It's something that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And that's why we don't do it. It seems very intimidating. But hospitality is the exact opposite. Hospitality is simply inviting others in. Whatever state we're in, you're coming in. You're like family. You're coming to see us. 
hang out together, uh, join whatever we're doing, watch TV together, do household chores. Remember Lynn and Dorothea, you, you guys would get together and say, right, what are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm cleaning, I'm, I'm doing laundry. Well, come on over. And they do laundry together. They go over to the next house and they do stuff. It's, it's doing life together, doing chores together. And one, one thing that really helped to see this, I don't know if any of you have heard of the, the book by Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Have any of you, you heard of it? It's a, it's a good book. Um, we've read it a couple of times. I've got it now. I'm, I'm reading through it. And, and Rosaria Butterfield really... Um, puts this in perspective. And I don't know if those of you know her background. Rosaria Butterfield came from, she was, she was a lesbian. And she was in a lesbian relation before she came to Christ. And one thing she said about the homosexual community is that they knew they were a community. They, and, and it makes sense because many of them, especially, it's not so much now, but, but back then, if you came out as gay, you were disowned many times by your family. You were not welcome in other places. So they had to band together. They had to become a family. And she saw this community, and it strengthened them. And then she comes to Christ. He says, we have the truth. Shouldn't we have even stronger community? And that's what she's done. She has that type of community. She has people come over to her house. She puts on a big pot of, of, of uh, sauce or, or, or pasta or, or soup. And whoever wants to come over, they come over. The neighbors, people in the church, the door is always open. And whatever condition, the house is in. And this is, this is so needed. This is so needed today because people are even more fragmented today than ever. Families are smaller. There's more spread out. So you don't have that community. Most people are by themselves. Relationships are often superficial, you know, either through work or through school. And even when you're surrounded by others, even if you live in a city, people are often lonely. And they desperately need, they crave this real authentic connection and community with other people. My friends, this is what we have. This is what we have as Christians. As Christians, we are united at the most fundamental level. We are new creations. We are new creations in Christ. We will spend all eternity together. We might as well spend some time together now. We might as well like each other now because we're going to be stuck with each other for all eternity. And because of our identity in Christ, because of our security in Christ, we can have deep and spiritually intimate relationships with others. We can be real with others. We can be vulnerable with others. We can have a a deep, rich community, this deep, rich community that all of us crave. We can have that because of Christ. My friends, this is a great joy in the Christian life. And this is something we have now. There there are great joys in the Christian life, and many of them are future joys, things that we're going to look forward to. But this is a present joy, something we can have now. Just like at this very moment, we have peace with God. At this very moment, we have a great community. We have great fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, this is a foretaste. This is a foretaste of eternity. See, right now, we're all sinful. So when we spend too much time together, we really annoy each other. And we need to spend time apart. But in, 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 in glory, we're not going to be sinful. We're not going to rub each other wrong. We're going to love to spend time with each other. And that's, so this is just a foretaste. And this unity is also attractive. It's attractive to those who are not yet in Christ, who do not yet have a relationship with Christ or a relationship with us. Now, this, this verse primarily applies to the church, right? It's for us to provide for the needs of the saints, for, for fellow believers, to take care of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. A, that's our primary responsibility. But it's not limited to that. And this type of help, and, and especially this type of hospitality, can be a powerful evangelistic tool. 
when it's used, it could be it could be used as an instrument used by the Holy Spirit to bring others into the family of God. Just like it was used for Rosaria Butterfield. She had Christians who came and, and basically invited her into their life. They loved her. They knew she was a lesbian. They knew she was an atheist. She, they knew that she thought they were crazy. They, she, they loved her anyway. And that hospitality melted those barriers, opened her to her, her need for Christ and seeing God. And God used that as an instrument to bring her to Christ. And my friends, others need Christ. And we need to bring, we need to, the, the, the lost need to, to see that they are far away, that they are headed for hell. And we can be to them, we can, we can be by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we, we can see them become new creations, have eternal life through the hospitality that we give them. What an amazing joy. People that we now have, have interaction, now, now that we show hospitality, now we show this, we can then enjoy their fellowship for all eternity. Again, what an amazing joy. What an amazing privilege we have been given. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you, I encourage you all, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And when you do this, prepare to be amazed. Prepare to be amazed what the Lord will do through your actions. And rejoice at the peace and the joy and the comfort that you will receive as a result of those actions as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the, really for the relationship we have in you. The relationship we have in Christ. The amazing um, privilege and amazing bonds. And Father, we confess that often we do not take advantage of them. Oftentimes we want to be separate. We want to be distant. We want to be away from people. We, we want to have our own boundaries. And, and, and that's fine. That's fine. But that shouldn't be all we do. We should be inviting people in. Uh, people in the household of God, but also people outside so that they can see this fellowship. And Lord, give us that grace to be able to do that. And Father, we pray that you will use this as a mighty example of the things that you can do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.